All right. Well, I want to welcome all of you who are joining us online today. Thanks so much for being a part of this worship experience. And I want to extend a very special welcome to all of our Impact Fairfax and Impact Bethany family. I'm so glad to be able to share with all of you today. I'm also really glad to be back in the pulpit after a brief sabbatical. I want to thank our high school pastor and our group's pastor, Matt Panade and Andrew Philbeck, as well as my brother Kenneth, who is a pastor in Savannah, Georgia, for filling the pulpit while I was gone. I listened to each of their messages and thought they all did a tremendous job. And I got to tell you that uh, I don't know how you felt about it, but I really, really loved that My Golden Resolution series that we began this new year with. I also want to take a minute just to thank all of our elders who made it possible for me to take this uh, brief time away. I'm, uh, I'm thankful for their support and their encouragement. But uh, uh, let's spend some time together in the Word of God. If you've got a Bible, I want you to grab it and turn with me to the book of Romans in the first chapter and just hold that ready for a few minutes. There was really just one question on my mind as I began my time away, and that question was, what now? That was a question I was asking for myself, and that was a question I was asking for our church. I was asking that question for myself because, honestly, I've never faced a leadership challenge quite like the one provided by this coronavirus. And I'd be lying to you today if I stood up here and said that I knew exactly how to move forward in the face of all the continuing uncertainty that surrounds us. I asked that question uh, with regard to the church because while I know that all of us are longing for that day and that time when we can return to normal, honestly, I'm not sure that day is ever going to come. I'm not sure we can even anticipate a new normal. I think we need to be prepared for a whole new reality once we get on the other side of this virus. And again, I would be lying if I told you that I had some kind of really clever, specific, fine-tuned, strategic plan prepared to meet that new reality. But in spite of all of that, I know that sounds a little negative and it's not my, not my purpose or not my desire to be negative today at all. In spite of all of that, there's really good news. And the good news is, is that God continues to be sovereign over the universe that he created. And God continues to be in complete control of his church. And so we don't need to be discouraged and we don't need to be afraid as we move forward. What we need to be is faithful and obedient. And that leads us to Romans chapter 1. And so if you've got your Bible open there, I want you to follow along uh, as I read this passage of Scripture. I'm going to read Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 16. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of His Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, By God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I might be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you just as I have had among the other Gentiles." I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, 
first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. All right, we always ask God's blessing on the reading and the hearing of His Word. Now, these verses were written by the Apostle Paul, and before we look at them on a deeper level, I just want to talk about Paul for a minute. You know, people serve the Lord for a variety of different reasons. Uh, For some people, it's ego. They love the attention and the affirmation that comes with serving, especially when they serve from a position of leadership. Some people serve out of obligation because they think that their salvation or their family or their heritage somehow, somehow demands that. Some people serve out of legalism. Some people serve out of fear. You could go on and on and on. But none of these reasons represent what we might call true spiritual service because none of them come from the heart. They all come from some external source. In contrast to that, you have someone whose heart is genuinely called and genuinely committed to serving the Lord. And I can't think of a better example than the Apostle Paul. We see the reality of that in those words we just read together. I love this description of Paul that I found when I was putting this message together. Someone wrote about Paul, he had the zeal of a prophet, he had the mind of a teacher, he had the determination of an apostle, and he had the heart of a shepherd. It's easy to think of Paul as strong. It's easy to think of him as resolute and determined and bold and confrontive because he was all of those things. All you have to do is read his New Testament letters to see that. But sometimes what we miss or what we forget about Paul is that he actually did have a tender side because he really did have the heart of a shepherd. And again, you see that in the verses we read. As he was writing to this church in Rome, these believers in Rome, uh, he said to them, for example, in verse 8, I thank God for you. In verses 9 and 10, he said, I pray for you. In verses 11 and 12, he said, I long to see you. Now, here's the thing. Paul didn't start this church. He didn't plant this church. He had never visited this church. He didn't even know these people. And yet, in the opening words of this letter, he makes it clear how much he cares about them. And so, the obvious question is, why? Why are these people in Rome that Paul has never met so important to him? Well, let me try to answer that question like this. I have a note taped down on my desk in my office next to where my laptop sits. And on that note, there are five things that I always try to remember whenever I study my Bible, especially when I'm studying my Bible for the purpose of preparing a message like this one. The first thing written down on the note is, and I know many of you have heard this before, when the normal sense makes good sense, seek no other sense. That's my fundamental rule when it comes to interpreting the Bible. Don't make it harder than it has to be. The second thing written down on that note is the text of Scripture can never mean to us what it did not mean to the original reader. And that's my reminder to study the Bible in context. I can't take the Bible and try to make it say what I want it to say. I have to understand what it says in context. The third thing written down on my note is we interpret the Bible with the Bible. And all that means is, and when I, is when I'm trying to understand something, uh, when I'm trying to understand, for example, prayer, what the Bible says about prayer, I need to read everything the Bible says about prayer. I can't just pick or choose one or two verses. If I want to have a good, comprehensive understanding of what the Bible teaches me about prayer, I need to 
read everything the Bible says about prayer. We interpret the Bible with the Bible. The fourth thing written down is ask questions. And that's one of the best ways to study the Bible. I would encourage you, anytime you're reading your Bible, uh, if you come across something that you don't understand, find a way to write that down and remember it so you can go back and find the answer. We should always be asking questions as we read the Bible to understand it on a better level. And finally, the fifth thing that I've got written down on that note is the meaning of words matters. The meaning of words matters. When I study a passage of Scripture like this one here in Romans chapter 1, I'll pick out what I think are the key words and then look at them on a deeper level. In the first part of verse 9 in this passage, Paul writes these words, God, whom I serve with my whole heart. God, whom I serve with my whole heart. And it's that word serve that stood out to me because there are multiple words in the Greek language that are translated serve in our English Bibles, and I wanted to know which one was used here. Well, the word Paul uses here for serve in verse 9 is the Greek word latrua, latrua. And it's used in the New Testament specifically for religious service or service to God. It's not used in the context of someone being a servant in that they have a master or something like that. It's used specifically for religious service or service to God. But here's the really interesting thing about that Greek word latrua. It's frequently translated worship. In some settings, in some contexts, it's translated serve, but oftentimes it's also translated worship. Now think about that with me for a minute. What do you think of when you hear the word worship? Well, I'm sure there could be a lot of different answers to that question. On a practical level, I'm sure that most of us think about what we're doing right now. That'd be the most common response. The act of coming together as a family of faith. Now, I know it looks a little bit different in the day of the uh, coronavirus because we're doing this virtually, but we're coming together as a family of faith. We're coming together to sing. We're coming together to pray. We're coming together to take communion, to give, to study the Bible, to be challenged, to be encouraged, to have fellowship, and on and on and on. And so what Paul is teaching us, or rather what we need to understand that Paul is teaching us here when he uses this word latrua for serve is that worship and service are inseparably linked. And here's what that means on a practical level. If you're someone who is genuinely committed to worshiping God, then you must, you have to be committed to serving Him as well. And that's why And here's the answer to the question. That's why Paul cared about these people in Rome the way that he did. His entire life was focused on worshiping and serving God. And Paul understood this truth that all of us need to understand. We serve God when we serve people. And so we need to follow Paul's example. I told you a little earlier that I would be lying if I stood up here today and told you that I knew exactly how to lead moving forward in the face of this virus. And, but it's okay that I don't have all that figured out. It's okay because we don't need some kind of a unique or some kind of a creative plan. We're not dependent upon my, my wisdom or my ability when it comes to moving forward in the midst of this difficulty that surrounds us. What we need is a deep commitment as a church to continue to serve God as a part of worshiping God. And Paul shows us what that looks like in this text that we read. In fact, 
I see three things. If you're someone who likes to take notes, then I want you to write down this first thing. The first thing Paul teaches us here is that we need to be committed to serving people, all people. We need to be committed to serving people, all people, regardless of who they are, where they are, where they've been, what they've done, what they look like, anything else that you can think of. We just need to be committed to serving people as a church. Let me give you a little bit of background to Romans for just a moment. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome after he had finished an extended missionary journey where he had spent time planting churches and preaching the gospel. He was about to go to Jerusalem because he wanted to deliver an offering to the church there that he had collected them because the church in Jerusalem was filled with so many poor people. After that, he planned to go to Rome to visit these people, and after that, he planned to go to Spain, and you can go on and on and on. This was Paul's life. Everything he did revolved around serving God by serving people. I mean, look back at verses 11 and 12 in our text. Romans chapter 1, verses 11 and 12 say, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. When Paul writes these words and says that he wants to help to make them strong, when he writes the words to make you strong, he's saying, I want to see you become fully developed and fully devoted followers of Christ. That's what Paul cared about. That's all Paul cared about. He wasn't concerned about the size of the crowd who showed up to hear him preach. He wasn't concerned about how big the churches that he planted ultimately became. He was simply consumed with leading as many people as possible to a full and complete life in Christ. And when I say he was consumed, friends, I mean he was deeply, genuinely consumed. Look at these words that he wrote to the church in Galatia. This is Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19. I feel as if I am going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. Paul said he feels like he's going through labor pains, waiting for them to become everything that they can be in Christ. Now listen, I know it's been over 30 years But I was in the delivery room at that hospital when Sandy was going through labor with both of our children. And I'm telling you, that's an all-consuming commitment. And I'm telling you, that's not something that you want to experience over and over and over and over again. But this was Paul's life. He lived to serve people. And he was persistent in the desire to serve people. That's why he wrote what he did in Romans 1 and verse 13. He said, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you. He added these words, but have been prevented from doing so until now. But he goes on to say that he planned many times to come to them in order that I might have a harvest among you just as I have had among the other Gentiles. This was what Paul was consumed with, serving people, all people, seeing that they become everything they could become in Christ. And nothing, no setback, no delay, no roadblock, no hardship, no circumstance was going to keep Paul from doing what God had called him to do. And we need that same commitment in our lives when it comes to serving people. And we need that same commitment now more than ever. There are so many things that we've not been able to do because of this virus. We, there's so many ministries and activities that we've not been able to participate in in the midst of this pandemic, but there is nothing, absolutely nothing that can stop us from serving people, all people, whenever we have the opportunity. And that's 
That's what's now. That's what's next for the church, for you, and for me. Here's a second truth that we learn from Paul in this text. We need to feel a personal responsibility. We need to feel a personal responsibility. As we think about the text that we're studying in Romans chapter 1, without question, one of the most significant things Paul writes is found in verses 14 and 15 when he says, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I, I, that's the way it reads in my NIV Bible my, that I always use when I preach, my 1984 NIV Bible. But I actually like the way this reads in the King James Version of the Bible as well. In the King James Bible, it reads like this. I am a debtor, both to Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. Now, don't let your mind get distracted or bogged down by the use of that word barbarians there. I know that's kind of an unusual word. That's just the word the Greeks used for anyone who wasn't a Greek, just like the Jews uh, used the word Gentile for anyone who wasn't a Jew. What I want you to focus on is that word debtor. In the King James translation, Romans 1 and verse 14 reads like this, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Paul is basically saying, I owe it to everyone to share the gospel, to share the good news, to share what God has done for them, what God has provided for them in Christ. And this was a constant theme in Paul's life. You see it in his other writings. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16, Paul wrote, Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, listen to this, for I am compelled to preach. And then he goes on, he takes it a step further, and he says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, Paul writes and says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. You see, Paul's life had been so dramatically changed by the power of the gospel that he felt obligated, burdened, compelled to share that same gospel with as many people as possible. And quite honestly, friends, we need that same feeling as well. We need that same passion in our lives. We need that same passion in our church. Here's the third and final truth we learn from Paul in our text today. And without question, in my heart, my mind, the most important, we need to believe in the power of the gospel. I'm going to put Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 on the screen, and we're going to read it together one more time. Paul writes, this is how we finished our text, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. I am not ashamed of the gospel. The word gospel in the original language of the New Testament is the Greek word euangelion, and it means glad tidings. We're more familiar with this meaning, good news. 
on the most practical level, the gospel is the good news that Jesus came to offer you and me and everyone everywhere a new and a better life, a life of forgiveness, a life of meaning and purpose, a life of hope, a life that will one day be released from all the weakness and all the frailty and all the limitations of this fleshly body so that it can be glorified in his presence and on and on and on. Paul believed in the power of the gospel, and Paul believed in the power of gospel because it had changed his life. Paul was convinced that the gospel could change anyone's life, and that drove his ministry. Imagine for a minute that you have a friend, and we'll just say that your friend is a a woman. Imagine for a moment that you have a friend who would never ever in any setting be described as pushy or overbearing. And then one day at a party, you hear your friend multiple times with multiple people talking about the vitamins she is taking. And she's not just talking about them. She is urging everyone to try them as well. She's not trying to sell them. She's not trying to make money. This is not part of some kind of a multi-level marketing plan. She's not trying to recruit anybody. Her making money is the last thing on her mind She just really believes in these vitamins because since she began to take them, she has more energy, she's more alert, she sleeps better, she looks better. You can go on and on and on. These vitamins have changed her life, and because of that, she's not reluctant or hesitant on any level to talk about these vitamins and tell every single person she meets that they need to give them a try. And listen, she's not obnoxious about it. She's not annoying about it. What she is is she's convinced She's convinced. That's the way Paul felt about Jesus. That's the way Paul felt about the gospel, about the good news. He was convinced. And that's clear when you look at his life. I mean, I'm looking at words from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 26 through 28, and Paul writes this, I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Now, here's the obvious question. Why? Why would Paul go through all of this? Why would Paul subject himself to such difficulty and such hardship? And the answer is really simple. It's because he believed so strongly in the power of the gospel. He was so convinced in the power of the gospel that nothing can stop him from sharing it with as many people as possible. Paul was convinced. Now, having said all of that, here's the point I want to make. Regardless of the specific challenges, let me say it like this, regardless of the specific challenge or the specific challenges that we as individual Christians or we collectively as the church might face, this is the strategy that we embrace. This is is the strategy that, that keeps us moving forward. This is the strategy that helps us to honor God the same strategy Paul employed. So just, let me just close by asking you three simple questions. First, are you committed to serving people? 
all people. And before you answer that question, remember what we learned from Paul and his use of the word serve in our text. We learned that worshiping God and serving God are inseparably linked, and we serve God when we serve people. Are you committed to serving people? All people. I'm not asking, are you committed to coming to church to have an experience of worship? That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, are you committed to serving people wherever you are? Are you committed to being the church? Not coming to church, but being the church everywhere you go. I'm going to tell you one of the things that frustrates me as a pastor in the local church, and I'm just going to be really honest with you for a moment. And this has been true in every church that I've served. One of the things that frustrates me as a pastor in the local church is that there are so many people, so many believers, so many church members, Christians, who want or expect the church as an organization to be responsible for their service. And so, you know, a challenge to serve goes out, and the response is, okay, tell me where to go, tell me what to do, tell me how long I have to be there, and I'll do it. And, you know, we, we do that in church. We, we, we make possible serving opportunities in a variety of different ways. And, and, I, and I'm thankful for all of those ways, and I'm thankful for everyone who serves in those settings. But you can come here and you can serve in a children's ministry. You can serve in a, in a, a student ministry. You can serve in an impact ministry. And you can, you can serve with a schedule. You can know when you're supposed to show up, how long you're going to be there, and what you're going to do, and on and on and on. We have big events like uh, food packing, although we weren't able to do that this past spring, um, or this past year, rather, in 2020 because of the virus. We have Night to Shine uh, that requires a lot of volunteers, and it's going to be virtual this year, and so it'll be very different, and on and on and on. And again, I'm thankful for those service, those service opportunities, and I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. I'm thankful for every one of you when you, when you sign up to serve in those ways. But we all need to be committed to serving people or so committed to serving people that we are always taking the initiative on our own to serve we are always taking the initiative on our own to look for opportunities to serve. And we don't limit the idea of serving simply to the opportunities made possible when I come to church. Serving people, serving God by serving people is just a part of our life everywhere we go. I know we have people in our church who are committed to that, and I'm so blessed by their lives. Let me give you one example. I, I'm sure that many of you know Stephen Julie Saunders um, I met Steve and Julie not long after I came to the church here and all the way back in 2001. In fact, I think their family came to Mount Pleasant about the same time my family did. And over the years, I've gotten to know them uh, on a personal level as they became very, very active in our church, serving in a variety of different ways. In fact, Steve served as an elder in the past. And many of you probably know that a few years ago, Steve actually joined our staff. He retired early from his uh, position uh, that he had in the secular uh, industry, and he joined our staff as our impact director and then became our impact pastor. And so he runs the impact center that's on the south end of our parking lot here and just does a tremendous job. Well, Steve and Julie, as a couple, are as committed to serving God by serving people as anyone that I've ever known, anyone I've ever met. Uh, a few years ago when we uh, 
launched Impact Fairfax, which is one of our campuses uh, in Indianapolis, uh, they were so drawn to that that they actually stopped attending services here at Mount Pleasant in Greenwood, and they became a part of the Impact Fairfax family, and they're very active over there. And their willingness to serve just continues to grow. I I want you to get a little bit of a glimpse of that as we look at this video together. Home ownership can change the financial family tree, the financial destiny of um, of people who might be living in poverty or close to poverty. With renting, there are some great landlords who really love their tenants and really take care of their properties. And then there are some landlords who are just looking to get to file people in and out and make as much money as possible. So it can create a lot of instability for a community. Housing is an obstacle for a lot of people, especially uh, in the, the Fairfax area and in you know, parts of the other communities that we serve. So uh, we kind of prayed through some things and uh, had really just mentioned to uh, Pastor Andrew that you know, we were thinking about possibly purchasing a home to make available to a, uh, to a family connected to the church, uh, to make it affordable for them. Andrew sent us a text and said, hey, there's a home that came available that's uh, right across the alley from the church, right next to the, the home that the, the church purchased, uh, and would we, we'd be interested, interested in it. And we did some research on the way, uh, made a phone call, looked at the, the home that afternoon. Uh, everything happened very quickly. Uh, we were told we had to you know, put an offering within 48 hours. And we're very, very thankful that God provided everything that was needed. All you have to do is ask, and we had a lot of people donating things. I think there's a huge opportunity for godly people to look at a neighborhood like the Old South Side, but especially in Fairfax, where properties can be bought at a lower, at a much lower rate, to to come in to have a great return on their investment, to buy a property, but to be mission-minded at the same time, to let a family come in and have stability long-term stability, to be a part of the work and the church in that area, and to know that, hey, they got to pay their rent, they have to do their part, but that the rent is not going to steadily rise at a dramatic rate year over year. Many of you out there, uh, you probably have some type of portfolio of investments. You know, this is a investment uh, in the kingdom, an investment that you're willing to, to let go of and to let God be your manager. And the return that you will receive on that uh, will be far beyond what you'll get on any earthly portfolio. Our desire and our prayer has, has been uh, is for our experience to be a template for other people to, to step in and, and to, to do the same thing so you can really see the difference that our church would be making uh, in, in this community and who knows what other communities God has in, in mind for us in the future. I'm sure you would agree with me. This is a great example of a commitment to serving God by serving people. Uh, And there's lots of ways to live out that kind of commitment. This is a way that Steve and Julie Saunders have uh, chosen. This is a way that they felt led by God. Uh, But there's a lot of things that you can do. What could it look like for you, wherever you are, wherever you work, wherever you live, wherever your passions are, what could it look like for you to just simply live out a commitment to serve people, all people. What would it look like for you to invest yourself uh, 
in helping someone else in the name of Christ. Uh, I just think that there's no end to the challenges and no end to the opportunities. By the way, if you'd like to learn more about doing something similar to what Steve and Julie Saunders are doing uh, in the Fairfax community, and, and we have this need in the Fairfax community. We have this need uh, in the Old Southside community where our campus, Impact Old Southside, is. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about that, then uh, they're going to be willing to share information with you. There's going to be a Zoom meeting held on Wednesday, February the 10th at 7 o'clock for anyone interested in learning more about this need to provide stable housing in our Impact communities. And you can register for that meeting by visiting the Filling the house, the, excuse me, filling the housing gap event on our website, the homepage of MPCC, mpcc.info. All you'll need to do is complete a short contact form and you'll get an email with a link that enables you to be a part of the meeting. Um, right now online, your online host is going to put a link in the chat if you utilize the chat that you can use to register for that meeting. And maybe that's something that you'd like to learn more about because it's a wonderful way Uh, to serve God by serving people, all people, all people. How committed are you to doing that? The second question is this. Do you feel a personal responsibility when it comes to sharing the message of Jesus? Earlier, I shared these words from Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16. He said, yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast for I am compelled to preach. And then he said this, woe to me, If I do not preach the gospel, let me just ask this question. Can you think of anything that would cause you to say, woe to me if I don't, and then you fill in the blank? Woe to me if I don't, and you fill in the blank. When it comes to your personal faith, your walk with the Lord, is there anything that fits into that category. Woe to me if I don't. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, we read that the Lord wants everyone to come to repentance, that he doesn't want to see anyone perish. That that means God wants to see everyone saved. And that's why we should feel, each of us, a personal responsibility to share the message of Jesus, the gospel, the good news, with as many people as possible. I got to tell you, I'm deeply convicted by this as I share these words with you today. I thought about my evangelism journey over the past 40 years. When I first became a pastor, I would go out and I would literally knock on people's doors with the hope of having an opportunity to share the gospel with them. And I would be pretty aggressive sometimes and just simply asking them questions like, do you know for sure that if you died today, you'd go to heaven? Or if you did die today and you found yourself standing before God and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And I used to do that a lot. I used to do it a lot in a lot of places and a lot of settings with a lot of people. But then it, it became difficult to, to call on people in their homes. And so the, the next phase of my evangelism journey was, was I would invite people to come to the church uh, and, uh, and hear from me. And in that setting, I would do a lot of the same things. I would ask the same questions. I would present the gospel, but it was people coming to me. And then, you know, that got to be difficult. And so in church, we just relied on people to come to church and maybe hear the gospel. But the truth is, 
We live in a day and age where a lot of people who are a long way from God are never going to walk through the doors of a church. And so evangelism, outreach, sharing the good news, the gospel, needs to be much more personal now. That's why we introduced the One Life Initiative a few years ago where we challenged everyone in our church to find one life, one person who's a long way from God and to do three things with that person, develop a friendship and then discover their story and then discern the next steps, how you can share with them the good news of Jesus. But if we don't feel a burden to do that, if we don't feel a responsibility to do that, then no evangelism will happen. If all we do as a church is sit back and hope that some unsaved person walks through the door and is convicted by the message, then there are going to be a lot of people who die with no hope because they'll die apart from God. And so we need to make sure that we feel a burden to share the gospel with as many people as possible. And it's not as difficult or as intimidating as you might think if you do it by simply developing a friendship with someone and then discovering their story and then discerning, praying that God would lead you to tell them the good news about Jesus. The third question is this. Do you believe in the power of the gospel? Maybe I should ask the question like this. Has the gospel changed your life? Has the good news about Jesus, has the good news of the new and better life that he came to offer, has that really changed your life? I know the power of the gospel has changed mine. And that means that I need to start living that out in a much stronger way than I've been doing in these past few years. It's the same for you. We believe in the power of the gospel then we're going to share the gospel with as many people as possible. I began my sabbatical by traveling to Savannah, Georgia, where my brother Kenneth, who preached here a couple of weeks ago, lives because his youngest son, Travis, was getting married. Sandy and I went to the wedding. And uh, there was a fellow there from our church in Oklahoma. My brother Kenneth worked for me. He was on my staff in my church in Oklahoma before I came here. He's a great staff member, made a real impact on the church. And uh, there was a guy there uh, that I had become friends with and that later Kenneth became friends with and actually Kenneth became really close friends with who had come to the wedding with his family. His name was Jim. And Jim was a, was a great guy and, and uh, he was a lot of fun to be with. He, he used to, when I first knew him, he would, he would alternate between uh, selling uh, cars wholesale, used cars wholesale, or uh, having a, a small uh, used car lot. Uh, he was one of those guys who was uh, just an entrepreneur. He was always looking for different ways to make money, and some would be successful, some not so successful, but he always seemed to find uh, different things to do. And I, I, I used to have fun with Jim because he used to let me go to the auction with him on Fridays, and that's how we used to buy cars uh, in Oklahoma, and just a lot of good memories. He, he became really close friends with my brother Kenneth after after uh, I moved here, and uh, he came with his family to the wedding. And so at the reception, I was sitting at a table and talking to him, and he recently got into a business, or not recently, a few years ago, got into a business where he manufactures uh, coverings for dashboards of pickup trucks because they get cracked by the sun and they break down, and it's just exploded for him. He's become incredibly successful with this business, 
Uh, and, uh, and that led to some other expansions of the business. He's just doing so well. And I was just talking to him. I said, Jim, man, I'm so happy for you. I'm so proud of you. Uh, I'm so glad for all the good things that are happening in your life. And I said, man, remember where we used to be? We used to stand out at the auction on, on uh, Friday mornings. And, and you've come so far from that. And he was, he's a humble guy too. And at one point he, he said, yeah. He said, but he said, but look, what about you? Look at you. Look where you are today. And I thought about that later. I thought about that. And here's my conclusion. I'm so thankful for the opportunities that God has given me over the past many years. My life in ministry didn't start great. I got fired from my first church where I was a youth pastor. Long story behind that. I never really wanted to be a youth pastor. I've told you that before. I just wanted to be a pastor. I wanted to be a preacher. My first church started with about 30 people. It was a church plant in 1982. Never got bigger than about 250. My second church I went to had about 125 people, and it became a turnaround church, and God blessed that ministry, and it grew to about 1,000. My third church is Mount Pleasant. When I came here, the church had about 2,000 people already. I'm thankful. I'm so thankful for all the opportunities God has given me. But I can tell you this with sincerity today. I'm not doing anything different. I have no greater or different responsibility today than I did in that church that had 30 people in it. I'm just doing what I do on a larger level. Because regardless of the things that surround us, the external things that surround us, the size of our ministry or, or where we live or any specific challenge that's there, God's will for all of us is that we worship him and we serve him. And we serve him by serving people. I don't know what the future holds exactly related to this virus. I don't know what kind of timetable we're looking at related to this virus. But I do know this. We as a church, both individually and collectively, we need to serve people, all people, and we need to believe so strongly in the power of the gospel that we are compelled, we are compelled, burdened to share it with as many people as possible. And if we do those things, then we can trust God to continue to build his church here at Mount Pleasant and impact Fairfax and impact Bethany and impact Old Southside and everywhere we have influence. And that's what we need to be committed to. I want you to pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy and thank you for your faithfulness. And in this difficult time that just has seemed to last for so long, I mean, I look back this week and saw it was in March of last year where we stopped meeting together in person and, and multiple, multiple weeks where we were unable to meet in person and then we came back and just a small portion of our church came back in person and most remained online and that's okay. I said from the beginning, whatever you feel comfortable doing, whatever you feel is right for yourself or your family, that's what you do. But we just have been 
We just have not been together like we had been before. Seems like it's lasted for so long, and we don't have any idea about how much longer it will last. But in the midst of this, we know that you continue to be faithful to us. You continue to be in control, and you continue to want the same things for us and from us. And so help us to be a church, regardless of the challenges around us, that are committed to serving people, all people, all people, that are committed to sharing the gospel with as many people as possible, and that are committed to believing, to being convinced in the power of the gospel to change anyone's life. Thank you for changing ours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.